0: this time of year, what a joy it is to worship our Savior simply because, as we've said before, the songs of our Savior are in the marketplace and all around. I heard it said that this morning that if Christmas was a stew, it would taste of peace and hope and joy. And I pray that even this morning that you would stop and, and just taste and see that the Lord is good as we think about the, the great joy that is before us. I want to speak to two quick matters before I preach this morning, church family. One is of lesser importance, one is of greater importance. The one of lesser importance is this. You need to know that God has thwarted a a great church split this morning. I was given, as I walked in the door, um, some cookies. They were were given to me as a gift, and our chairman of the deacons, Al Sorensen, tried to take my cookies twice. And I would have hated to whip a chairman of deacons, but I was prepared to do so if I needed to. But that was not necessary, didn't have to happen. We, we, he repented and left my cookies alone and got his own. But, just in case, I'm going to preach with my cookies right here <laughs> so I know where they are, because I wasn't going to leave them in the office while I was preaching. The second matter is of greater importance. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering is before us, and we have not talked about this at length this year. Uh, this uh, church body decided some time ago to move to a worldwide Uh, missions offering. And I think that's a wonderful idea. Rather than emphasizing missions just at specific times like Christmas and Easter, it ought to always be before us that there are missionaries that are in need. It ought to be always before us that there are lost people every single day that need to hear the gospel. And so as we uh, focus on missions and our missional giving, the way that we do that is very simple. And we're going to talk about this at great length in the, the coming year. Uh, I'll just go ahead and give you a preview, 2016 is going to be a year of intentionality. That's going to be our key focus word. Everything that we do as a church family, we're going to focus on with greater and greater intentionality. But in terms of missions giving, we have uh, set through our missions committee various missionaries and mission opportunities that we give percentages to. And every time you give to that missions offering, above and beyond your tithes and offerings, that money is distributed to those various sources. We have missionaries that we've sent out from our own church, like Josh and Lucy Smith and the Mowdies, and we support them through that missions offering. But then we come to special times of the year like this, and many of you want to give directly to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That offering supports our Southern Baptist international missionaries around the globe, and we want to be a part of that. In fact. I wanted to share with you last year, just to kind of give you an update, last year our church was recognized for per capita giving and being one of the top churches, uh, not only in the state, but also in the nation in terms of per capita giving, we gave almost $32,000 to Lottie Moon. That included the percentage from the Worldwide Missions Offering, as well as direct gifts to Lottie Moon during Christmas time. I just want to give you an update as to where we are. We are just shy of $10,000 right now based on the gifts that have been given as, uh, through the Worldwide Missions Offering as well as those given directly to Lonnie Moon. And so church family, I want to encourage you over the coming weeks to prayerfully consider what and how you would give to support the work of our missionaries around the world that serve through Southern Baptist causes. I would greatly appreciate that prayer. I know that in the past year, in the absence of a pastor, the Worldwide Missions Offering Uh, maybe was not highlighted as much as it had been in years past and that's part of the result of where we are with the offering but I just want to encourage you. We as a family have looked at several different ways of giving over the course of time. We've looked at saying we would give uh, the extent that we would give one of the gifts, maybe one of the most expensive gifts that we would buy, and we would try to equal that. Or we've looked at various ways. Some have even challenged at times, look at the total that you're going to spend on Christmas. Now at this point, that may be a a large task to do, but look maybe for next year, the total amount that you're planning on spending on gifts at Christmas time and give that toward the cause of missions around the world we want to be a missional church not just a church that gives money toward missions but a church that is on mission and so we want to pray toward that end together i'm going to pray and then i'm going to preach and we're going to examine together a a little bit farther into isaiah 9 6 and 7 as we look at the names given in that pronouncement of jesus let's pray together father we rejoice today in the great opportunity we have to worship we Thank you, Father, for all of your good gifts that we find in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of gathered corporate worship. Lord, it is good to dwell among God's people and to be together with them and to do life together. And I pray even this morning that we would hear from you together. God, bless our time together. Bless the reading and the studying of your word for your glory and toward our good that we might be challenged and motivated to live different lives. And Father, I pray that someone today uh, would be intersected at their point of need with your word and the power of your word, and that lives and hearts would be transformed. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. On July 22nd, 2013, after uh, a long and anticipated wait, Kate Middleton, Duchess of Cambridge, and Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge finally welcomed their first child. That first child, George Alexander Lewis, or more formally pronounced as uh, Prince George of Cambridge. Following a tradition that had been started long, long before, and even a tradition that had been carried on by Princess Diana at the birth of her own sons, a royal announcement was put out in front of Buckingham Palace. And the announcement was on a simple easel, and the announcement read... As such, it said this, Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge, was safely delivered of a son at 4.24 p.m. The baby weighs eight pounds, six ounces. Her Royal Highness and her child are doing well. Kind of interesting, uh, the, the birth of their second child came in a different way of announcement. It was not done, and they, they actually uh, went, uh, bypassed that long-standing tradition, and they made the announcement on Twitter. Kind of an interesting modern twist, if you will. But they were able to broadcast far, far uh, more reaching uh, hearing uh, than just if they had printed it and put it outside the castle uh, there at Buckingham Palace. Interesting to think about that announcement. The announcement of royalty fascinates us. The, the birth of a new royal. I mean, here's one that is in line to be the king of England. And we know that that's lost some of its luster in terms of a governance that would have a prime minister. But, but there's still a fascination with these royals. And this baby that was born, with all the anticipation of being in line of the kingship, would, would for many bring fascination and curiosity and interests. Here this morning we see the announcement of royalty. 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah steps into a time of darkness and despair and struggle and worry and fretting with great hope and anticipation as part of the lineage of the people who had looked forward to a promised Messiah. And Isaiah makes a pronouncement given by the Lord. His prophetic announcement of this new king and its eternal dominion and showing the significance of the king being embodied by the names given to this king. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 and let's look there together, Isaiah 9, at simply two verses and I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version this morning. For a child will be born... For us, A son will be given to us and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever." The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You may be seated and may God add blessing to the reading of his word and understanding to our hearts today. As we think about this royal announcement, Isaiah again comes in a time of great darkness and fear and trepidation. The people had wandered from God. The people had struggled to have a, a national identity because they had at times been carried away in captivity. Last Sunday and even last Wednesday, we talked about how these people had forgotten God and they'd forgotten the wonders of God and the works of God. These people had gotten to the place where they had forgotten all of the great things that He had done. In fact, if you think about it with me, I, I'll, I'll just give a, a quick uh, preview or, or pre, a quick review, excuse me, that will bring us up to date. Psalm 78 talked about this. We, we spent some time Wednesday night looking at these men of Midian, uh, the Ephraimites that would, would leave God's battle and they had forgotten what God had done. And in fact, the psalmist went on to describe and say, do you remember, in essence, the walls of water as we walked on dry ground? Do you remember the manna that came from heaven? Do you remember a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that led us? And the people had forgotten the wonders of God, and because they had forgotten those things, they walked in darkness. I think perhaps that describes us this very day. Uh, Our society, our culture has forgotten the wonders of God. I'll never forget, a a dear friend of mine talked about how uh, there, there is an increasing level of wonder in our life that must be performed for us to be, in any way, overwhelmed. We are a society that is underwhelmed. He was talking about his grandson. He's a preacher friend of mine. And he said his grandson, when he was little, he never forgot watching him playing out in the front of the yard and a dump truck went by and the dump truck had one long rake sitting in the back of it. They had emptied out whatever the load was and that rake was making the most awful racket you can possibly imagine. And as it clattered and clanged down the street, his little grandson dropped everything he was doing and with amazement and wonder stopped and watched that truck go by. He was about three or four at that point. My friend tells a story that when his grandson was eight he took him to Disney World and he went to uh, Disney World with his grandsons and, and just had a great time but he said to his grandson knowing and hoping that Disney would be as efficient and effective and and characteristically excellent as they are that the parade would happen on time he knew that at nine o'clock that electric parade was going to start and all of Main Street would light up so he turned to his grandson and said Papa's gonna make a parade and at nine o'clock Papa clapped his hands and all of Main Street lit up and that nine-year-old boy with all of the wonder and imagination of a nine-year-old boy just was blown away. You and I just read from Isaiah chapter 9 and my preacher friend went on to say this. His grandson now at 15 at times is underwhelmed at the announcement of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, much like we are. You see, I think there's something in us that is clamoring for a bigger expression, a brighter hope. We we like to go see one light display and we are amazed by that until we see a bigger light display. And then we want to see an even bigger light display. And sooner or later, the neighbors are feuding over their light displays. And at this time of year, the wrapping and the trappings of Christmas make it more and more increasingly difficult for us to understand the true meaning. And here we have read an announcement of a royal king that would come and in that announcement there was great hope and there was great longing and the names that are represented here for us give to us an indication not just who he was but what he was like, his character, his nature. And so as we unfold these together we continue to see a a vast difference in this king. There really is something about these names. Listen to the names again. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. To the Hebrew, I put this in your notes this morning in your listening guide. To the Hebrew, a name was not a label only or a tool to distinguish one person from another. It was actually that a person's name was viewed as equivalent to the person themselves. It signified their person, their worth. Their character, their reputation, their authority, will, and ownership. Everything about them wrapped up. And so these names we learn a great deal about Jesus from. As we look at these, we learn a great deal about his kingdom. He is a royal. This is a royal pronouncement. He is to be a ruling, reigning king. And when Isaiah made the pronouncement then, and as we read it today, we need to understand these same lessons that are here for us in these four names. So walk with me for a moment. Number one, I want you to see this. What can we learn about this king and his kingdom from this text? Number one, in this new kingdom, there is no confusion. In this new kingdom, there is no confusion. That comes from the name Wonderful Counselor. It begins there. He is the Wonderful Counselor. I started on this Sunday a week ago and just could not get very far. We just talked about the, the, the setting in which that was dropped. But Wednesday night, we, we unpacked it a little more. Jesus being our wonderful counselor means far more than he's good at giving advice. He is our advisor, though, with infinite wisdom. And I don't want you to ever lose sight of that. The wisdom of Jesus is not of this world. He comes to us in our deepest needs as an advisor to guide us and to direct us. He comes in our deepest needs with infinite wisdom. His wisdom goes so far beyond anything that we could imagine. If you think about the paradox that happens over and over again in Scripture, you want to find your life? Lose it. You want to be first? Become servant of all. Make yourself last. You want to be exalted in the eyes of God, then humble yourself. You see that paradox that Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, it seems that he would have shown up on a white stallion ready with conquering armies of angels, ready to destroy all evil and establish his kingdom immediately. But how did he come? He came as a baby. He came in a manger. I I think it's more than appropriate to hear the words. I don't know the source of where this was originally said, but the king of all kings saw fit to be born in a manger so that when you and I die, we can live in a palace. Amen? The king of all kings has expanded his kingdom and his infinite wisdom to you and to me by faith. We can trust him this very day and live for him with great expectant hope as a part of his kingdom. But I want you to understand this. Some people say, well, why are things still the way they are? This infinitely wise king has not brought all things into order yet. However, he has established his kingdom from the beginning and this period of time we live in simply as the time of mercy. Think with me a moment. Jesus' very first commands were repent for the kingdom is at hand. Mark 1 He came boldly proclaiming the kingdom is here. And you say, well, if his kingdom is here, why is there still suffering? If the kingdom is here, why is there still evil? If the kingdom is here, why is there still all of this pain and confusion in this world? Make no mistake, in his infinite wisdom, he has given us an allotted time of mercy so that we might continually share the good news. If Jesus Christ were to rid the world of all evil today, what would become of us? If Jesus Christ were to rid the world of all evil today, what would become of our loved ones who have not yet trusted Him? Or of those who have not yet heard all around the world, unengaged, unreached people. There are people that are lost and no one currently is looking for them. Thousands upon thousands of groups of people exist that way. Over a billion people in the world today have limited or absolutely no access to the gospel and the infinitely wise, wonderful counselor has not brought back his kingdom to the place of complete consummation. Why? Because mercifully he is waiting for you and me to go and tell. Mercifully he is waiting for us. And you say, I can't get on a plane and go there, but you can go across the street. You can walk across and talk across the fence. You can walk across the classroom. You can walk across the school cafeteria. You can walk across this city. You can get in touch with people by telephone and text in all kinds of ways. Are you intentionally sharing the wonder of this wonderful counselor? You see, in his infinite wisdom, we live in a period of mercy. He is an advisor. I I am amazed that he would direct us in such ways. It doesn't make sense. And if I were God, I would do things differently. And you ought to be thankful that I am not. (laughs) I I figured my wife would shout hallelujah or a, a hearty amen at that point. I know she did in her heart. We're not God. God is infinitely wise above anything we can comprehend. And when Isaiah said the words, He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Boy, what a mouthful. What a penful as he wrote those words. They should leap off the page into our hearts and we should fall to our knees, throw our hands heavenward and say, Lord, thank you for your infinite wisdom. Thank you that you are not like us. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us and help us to see what you are like. We must go and tell in this period of mercy. He's not only an advisor, he's an advocate I love this thought that as we think about counselor, it's not just one who gives advice, but in the legal sense, you think about a counselor. Sometimes we need counsel. We need someone that would defend us, someone who would protect us, who would guard and stand and make plea on our behalf. This is Jesus. And there in verse 6 it says, He would be born for us. We are so thankful this advocate would stand in behalf of, of those of us who have been under the wrath of God and yet now stand forgiven by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that He sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession on our behalf. The work of Jesus Christ is that He perfected us once for all and continues to make us perfect. That ought to make you scratch your head. You say, that doesn't make sense. You're right. In our human wisdom, it does not make sense. But in right standing before God, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, you are perfected in Him. And before the Father, you were seen as completely righteous. And yet we continue to work from glory to glory to glory in our lives, being perfected and shaped and molded. And the difficulties of this life are like divine sandpaper that are shaving off those parts of our lives that don't look like Jesus. You see what he's doing? He's taking those habits and those hurts and those hang-ups of our life and he's shaping them out of our lives like a potter molding a beautiful piece of artwork. The Lord Jesus Christ has perfected his saints one for all and continues to make us more perfect. I scratch my head at the infinite wisdom of God. But he is my counselor. Oh, I can't imagine going to court for something and trying to defend myself. Can you? I, I just see, you, we, we see that in the movies and on television. Somebody decides, I'm just going to serve as my own counsel. And they stand up and the judge asks, do you have someone in your defense? Your Honor, I'm defending my. And you see on the other side a prosecutor who is foaming at the mouth and gleaming in their eye because they know with all the complexities of legal maneuvering, I've got this person. And you might be completely innocent in that situation and yet could be completely undone by a wise counselor. Jesus is not only an advisor, he is our advocate. He stands, and the scheming devil uh, of old is continually accusing us. He stands before God, accusing, saying, God, look at Scott Hanbury, look how sorry he is. He doesn't love you, he doesn't pray like he ought, he doesn't live for you, he is selfish. And I say, guilty as charged, your honor. And Jesus, my advocate, stands and says, but he's bought with my blood. He stands forgiven, covered completely. His sin debt is paid in full. And to that we should say hallelujah. I want you to see we can learn about this king that in his kingdom there is no confusion. There's mystery, but there's no confusion. He is king. And when we move ourselves onto his agenda, it's very simple. It's all about his glory. Hear me, church. It's all about His glory. Everything in His kingdom, this benevolent, good king. You see, we don't understand kingship. We don't live in that world. We live in this democracy. And the idea of a dictator, the idea of a monarch, the idea of one who has sovereign rule over all things is so foreign to us. And yet we as believers live under the sovereignty of God and His kingdom. And Jesus says, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my righteousness. All the rest will be added unto you. And as the Holy Spirit told Matthew to pen those words and to say those things, it was a very clear focus. This is a good king who will take care of every need. You see, if we were to serve a sovereign king that would uh, put stripes upon our back and he would be brutal to us and he would oppress us, we would be frustrated and long to rise up. But not Jesus. He's a benevolent king. He is a loving and gracious king. He is a good king. And in this pronouncement, a child will be born. A savior will be given to us, wonderful counselor, an advocate, an advisor, one who stands on our behalf, giving us direction and giving us defense, guiding us, as an advisor and guarding us as an advocate, directing us as an advisor and defending us as an advocate. He is our pattern as an advisor as we look at His life and He is the one that makes plea for us as an advocate. Secondly, I want you to see this. Not only is there no confusion in this kingdom because He is our wonderful counselor, secondly, there is an incredible contrast between His kingdom and every other kingdom ever to exist. The contrast is clear. I want to give you three simple thoughts. Number one, unlike earthly kings, Jesus is accessible. Jesus is accessible. He is a king to which we can go. In fact, church, I want you to see this with me very clearly. I don't want you to miss this. Let me draw in close. Not only do we have the ability to come into His presence, we have the invitation. Write down this verse somewhere, Jeremiah 33, 3. God said, call unto me. It's almost a challenge. Call unto me. It's commanded there. And in the imperative command, he says, call unto me and I will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I've stood on that verse so many times. I've found myself, church family, struggling to understand what to do, where to go, struggling through a problem in my life, a temptation in my life, a decision in my life. And God, all the while, this benevolent king, our wonderful counselor, now almighty God, stands as a contrast from any other source, and he says, you just call unto me, and I will answer you. That in itself ought to just make us do backflips. You talk about being underwhelmed we ought to be screaming from the rooftops. The God of the universe said He would answer if we call. Amen? That was a great place for an amen. Let me try it one more time, and I'm not trying to just work you up, but I hope you would get worked up. The God of the universe said He would answer if we call. Amen. Praise God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, there's a powerful, powerful statement about the accessibility of Jesus, our great King. Listen to this passage with me. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way As we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, listen to this, verse 16. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. I I want you to go back at some point. If you've got your phone with you, maybe you can highlight it, but if you actually have a Bible with you, go back and underline that. Let us approach the throne of grace. Let us approach the throne of grace. Approaching the throne of a king is one of the most frightening things that you can possibly imagine. We know throughout the Old Testament there are stories of people who dared to approach a king at the risk of their own life. And yet God says, you call unto me. And here he says through the Holy Spirit writing to the writer of Hebrews, you approach my throne boldly. How in the world can we approach a king boldly? Only by Jesus' permission. We stand before the throne of the Father because of our wonderful counselor, infinite wonder, infinite wisdom, our almighty God who says, I am approachable. This holy God that will not tolerate sin in His presence, it's only because of Jesus. You see, when we are saved, we have the right, we have privilege, we have access to the throne room of God. Dr. Adrian Rogers said, oftentimes most Christians live beneath their privilege. You have access to the King of Kings. He has beckoned you. He has said, call unto me and I will answer you. He has said, here, I have been tempted in every way you have. I can sympathize. Some of you say, oh, I need to clean my life up before I come to Jesus Christ. No, you don't. You can't. You can't. You know, I've, I've heard people talk about eternal security and, and they think somehow that they have to keep their own salvation. Here's a simple uh, a message I can give about that. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Let that soak in for a moment. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Stop thinking it has anything to do with you. Jesus Christ said you can come into the presence of God because of what I have done, not because of who you are or what you do. So stop trying to clean your life up and just surrender it to Jesus and don't live beneath your privilege anymore. Don't suffer aimlessly or wandering in your own uh, mind and decision. Go to the Lord. Call the Lord. Don't suffer unnecessarily. Cry out to this benevolent king who said, you come to me and you'll find mercy. This world has a lot of hopelessness, a lot of despair, The kingdoms of this world have failed miserably. All kinds of leaders with all sorts of philosophies. But I want you to see that in the kingdom of God, there is no confusion. And in the kingdom of God, there is a great contrast because we have a king who is accessible. Secondly, I want you to see this. Not only is he accessible, but unlike earthly kings, Jesus is truly powerful. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Various translations say it differently. The words ring something like this. He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think or imagine. He is able. He is able. Church family, say that with me. He is able. Jesus is not like any other king. He is accessible and invites us to approach the throne of grace. His power is like no other and His throne will last forever. Think with me about these beautiful names. He is the Almighty God. He is the one that spoke all of the universe into existence. I'm so enamored with the creation account. Elohim, the Almighty God, spoke and light spread out across the universe, the vastness of the universe. He spoke and separated the land and the sea. He spoke and life came into existence. He spoke and the stars came into being and stayed where He told them to stay. He's powerful. And He's powerful enough to take that which is dead and bring it to life. He is powerful enough to take your faith and credit it to you as righteousness. He is truly powerful. He is accessible and He is truly powerful. Oh, there have been kings that have clamored for power. There have been presidents that have grasped that power. But no human on this planet who has ever lived comes anywhere close to the power and the magnificence of our almighty God. He came to earth in the form of a royal baby. A royal baby that few noticed and even fewer welcomed. His his coming was foretold years earlier by this prophet Isaiah and he wrote this announcement. And folks, I want you to see this. Unlike other earthly kings, Jesus' throne will last forever. There will be no midterm election for Jesus. There will be no recall or recount. There will be no Uh, challenge to his authority one day he will be named king of all kings, lord of all lords every kingdom will be folded into the kingdom of our God and his Christ the bible says that on that day at the name a new name by the way that is given to him, every knee will bow every tongue will confess on heaven, uh, in heaven, on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is lord of lords and here's that new name, it's lord, it will be stamped across the universe, he now is lord, he's lord today Make no mistake, He's sovereign right now. He is overseeing the affairs of this world. And in His infinite wonder and His infinite wisdom, He has given us a period of mercy. So during this period of mercy, let's be about His business. I want to be a loyal subject to this good King. I want to be a loyal subject in the kingdom to call unto Him to access His throne for times of mercy, to go to Him longingly recognizing that His power is completely infinite and His kingdom is forever eternal to the glory of God the Father. Somebody asked me this week, what is the message of Christmas in a tweet? Sum it up. Now, what they were saying is, and they used that just to say, you've only got 140 characters Limit it down. Here was my best shot, and it's not in that succinct form, but the Lord of never-ending sovereign reign on a day in history in a real city sent the Savior to take away the sins of the world. The Christ. The Christ came to fulfill all of our hope. See, Christ means Messiah. And they looked longingly for some kind of hope. Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. Christ, which means the promised one, the the Messiah. Jesus is the promise of God's salvation. Today, trust Him. Today, hope can be yours. Today, joy can be yours. Today, peace can be yours. You see, the Bible says that He is a wonderful counselor, an almighty God, the everlasting Father. And I'll I'll dive into that one for a moment. People have said, well, I I thought you said we have a triune God, and here it says that Jesus is the everlasting Father. No, it doesn't say that. It says His name shall be called. There's a a name issue for us to understand and overcome if we're going to get hung up on that. This isn't about oneness, Pentecostalism, where we say, well, Jesus plays the Father and plays the role of the Son. We know the Bible's clear, there are three persons of the Godhead. Whom shall we send and who will go for us? God said to Isaiah. In the very beginning in Genesis, it was recorded that we would make man in our image. There is a picture of Jesus Christ there, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father. He is like no other king because he had no beginning and no end. But here he is the eternal Father. The Hebrews understood the word Father to mean protective, Oversight. It meant that He would be one that would watch over. He was the one that could issue blessing in a family sense. And for Jesus Christ, His name to be called the Eternal Father, in the Hebrew language, it's really the Father of Eternity. They were saying, the one who is coming is the one who always has been. The one who is coming is from God and the Jews missed it because they couldn't see his infinite wisdom in coming as a baby I I have many Jewish friends who are still longing for a Messiah to come and Jesus is coming but he's coming again and in this time of mercy we better help them to see that he came and he lived and he died and he rose again victoriously so that we in this period of mercy might bring him glory and honor by bringing sons and daughters to Christ and one day He will establish His kingdom forever. And in that title, the everlasting Father, we see that He will be the Prince of Peace because His kingdom will be marked with peace. He said on this earth, His kingdom would be marked with trouble. He would bring a sword. He would set Father against Son. You say, well, that doesn't seem right. Have you ever watched a family struggle with someone who came to Christ and they turn their backs on that person? If you've not seen or experienced that, it's happening all around the world, even today. I got a report from my IMB this week, uh, another story uh, after story after story uh, of Muslims who around the world are having visions of Jesus. And when they encounter these white missionaries from the United States and other places who come, they say, he told me that you would come. And they're being saved and many of them are being killed or ostracized completely by their own families. It's happening in real time today in our world. The cost of following Jesus can be high. The cost of not following Jesus is infinitely higher. To be separated in a Christless eternity is the ultimate of punishment. The wrath of God rests upon us until we've been saved. And then it rested upon Him on Calvary's cross as our Prince of Peace. He was the ultimate arbitrator to make peace between God and man. He stood on your behalf and negotiated peace through His very blood. I finish by simply saying this. I started here. The announcement of a royal that was overlooked Because Christ was content with a stable at his birth so that we could have a mansion when we die. Oh, what a Savior. There really is something about these names. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed that centuries before his birth and millennia before our day, Isaiah would stand with confidence and proclaim that a wonderful counselor was coming. A child. And the dominion of that king would never, ever end. Jesus, we live in that stream today and I pray that if there's one here that's outside the kingdom, that they would come in today. That they would come home today. That they would be saved this very day. That they would trust you and your death and your payment for their sin debt. And Father, for each of us, I pray today during this Christmas season as we think about giving gifts as a reflection of you giving the ultimate gift, God, I pray that we would give the gift of the gospel to someone. Oh God, that this church would awaken to a clear call to be missional, a clear call to to share the gospel in stronger and more far-reaching ways than ever in the history of this church. God, I I know that there are people here today that have never shared the gospel. Oh, that we might help to equip them in the coming days to be on mission for you and to share that good news. God, I know there's fear in the hearts of people when they think about being witnesses. Oh God, I pray that you would give us a boldness because we recognize that you are a king who is accessible. And we can turn to you in our fear. You are the Prince of Peace. Father, have your way in the midst of this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, look at me for a moment. The appeal is very, very clear. Maybe, just maybe, you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus. Members of our staff will be here at the front. I want you to hear this from me very clearly. Jesus doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to help you. He won't ruin your life. He'll redeem it. And many people say, well, if I come to Christ, it's going to change everything. You're right, it will. They they think somehow it becomes about rules and and regulations and do's and don'ts. No, it's about peace that maybe you've never experienced before. It's about a a taste of joy that you've never had. It's otherworldly. There's nothing in this world that can give that level of joy. And so today, if you would, be bold enough to step out into the aisle and come and find one of these staff members. I'll be down here at the front. We'd love to share with you from God's Word what it means to be saved. How you can trust Him and have your sin debt covered, your guilt and your shame covered completely. And then for all of the rest of us in this place, if you have been born again, if you've trusted Him... Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, earnestly and sincerely. Don't think about the Christmas presents that you have left to buy. Don't think about the, the, the meals that you have to prepare. Don't think about the stuff that you have to get done. Think about that person that you could share the good news with this week. And I simply want you to bow your heads, not now, but, but in a moment as we sing. You may want to just sing out. If you're confident that you're sharing the gospel and moving forward, but you may, just may, need to bow your head. You may need to come to the altar and lift that person's name before heaven and say, Lord, this week, I want to tell them about your wonder, about your grace, about your peace, about your power, all the things that we see in Isaiah 9-6. He is worthy of all that we can share. So you let God have His way during this invitation time. Staff members are here. Let's stand together.